You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Podcast, Episode 7. Today we kick off with a mixed bag of topics from a fight for the title of richest man in the world to Jessica Alba's honestly made billion. We've got you covered. In our Your Stock, Our Take segment, we review a viewer question on one of this year's hottest TSX Venture listed stocks, Sia Pro Inc. And in our Stars and Dogs of the Week, we review a little company named Apple and a banking giant, Deutsche Bank. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Keystocks, and on Facebook. Now let's dig into the show. I would again like to welcome my co-host, Keystone's senior equity analyst, father of one, and a man who is so disenchanted with this coming U.S. election that he is thinking of going Brewster's millions on us and starting a none-of-the-above campaign. Mr. Aaron Dunn, welcome. Thank you, Ryan. I'll, I'll add that while I am disenfranchised with what's going on down there, I actually think it's a pretty easy choice. If I was going to make an analogy with food, it, it's, it's, it's like the difference between something that is likely to give you indigestion and something that could cause massive organ failure. But uh, that being said, let's get going on. So we definitely know your opinion. Yes. Thank I you. definitely have an opinion. That's good to hear. But we won't get into it here because this is about no. investing, not about politics. There are very few things that $78.5 billion can't buy you. If you happen to be the geeky 80s version of Patrick Dempsey, perhaps love is one of them. Unfortunately for Bill Gates, love was never an option. So he went after something more attainable. Let's say the title of the richest man in the world. The thing is, today that $78.5 billion can't even buy him that. And we sympathize poor Bill. That, my friends, that title belongs now to Amancio Ortega, best known as the founder of Zara, who inched past Gates when shares of Indidentex, uh, that's Zara's parent company, went up 2.5% this past week. It was estimated, um, this equated to around $1.7 billion for Ortega. He is now worth an estimated $79.5 billion, a full $1 billion more than Mr. Gates. Now, who knew hawking relatively affordable fashion would be more profitable than Windows? But is it really? Well, we know that Gates' impressive philanthropic legacy has greatly impacted his fortune. Forbes estimates he has donated $31 billion in his lifetime. If Gates had kept this money for himself, no one would even come close to his net worth. So with this type of philanthropic behavior, he remains richest in our hearts, which is most important, isn't it, Aaron? Yeah, and what will it's it's yet to be seen how long Ortega is gonna gonna stay on top of that list. As you said, the 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 shares in the in his company went up only two point five percent, and that's what propelled him up up further. So if if we keep seeing the shares go up, then he should do fine. But it seems like he's he's kind of on a rocky cliff in terms of whether or not he can uh, maintain that coveted position as the yeah. world's richest man. It's true, and I think if memory uh, serves me correctly, I think in 2015, at some point, he briefly inched ahead of, uh, of Gates, but uh, 
Gates retook the title. So I'm sure they'll be battling it out um, over the next year once again for that coveted title. But Zara itself, um, for me, is really an interesting story. I, I don't know if you knew that the founder, the richest man in the world now, um, he wanted to originally call the shop Zorba after his favorite film, Zorba the Greek. So do you know what stopped him, Aaron? Uh, common sense. <laughs> no, but a bar down the street in the little town of Spain that the company was founded actually had the, same, the name uh, Zorba. So uh, Ortega was forced to adapt, given that the Zorba name was already on the, the bar. Uh, they tried to think of a new name that would use most of the letters, so they settled on Zara. Zara. The brand is now present in every corner of the globe. Uh, for me, the unique business model here is really the story. Instead of committing large percentages of production for the next fashion season, Zara commits a small amount and uses customer feedback, a great technology system and efficient production network to replenish its stores with new products every week. Now in Zara's stores, it's impressive. It can take a new garment as little as 15 days to go from design, production to the store shelves. For me, this is hugely important in a highly fickle fashion market and clearly demonstrates that they're doing something right. Absolutely. I, I'll just add here, that's, uh, that is an interesting aspect of the business model. I, I wasn't aware of that. I'm not very familiar with the company or its clothes. But what, what that is, I mean, when you have uh, an industry like fashion where things are changing so quickly, um, what this does is it allows them to respond to those changes basically right away and obviously not hold much inventory. So if something goes out of fashion, they're, they're not holding on to uh, a load of inventory that they have to just sell it at, at a lower price. Yeah, and ha holding a huge amount of inventory that, that's not going to sell can be a killer in that industry. Absolutely. So someone else who's doing something right, um, Jessica Alba, apparently is not just another pretty face. She's got some pretty talented business chops. Now this week it was reported that her company, The Honest Company, which is a collection of toxin-free household goods, diapers, and bodily care products, uh, I've purchased some of them myself, has received a takeover bid in the range of $1 billion from uh, New York Stock Exchange listed giant Unilever. Unilever is the parent to brands like Dove, Axe, and Vaseline. Now, is the bid a reasonable one, Aaron? I'm going to let you have a take on that. Well, according to the Wall Street Journal, Honest Company generates about $300 million in annual revenue, um, which puts Unilever's bid at a multiple of 3.3 times revenue. So really looking at the revenue, of, for our research, we, we don't look at the revenue, we look at the profitability. So 3.3 times revenue does not really tell me that much about the underlying profitability. But the fact that they're, they're basing the valuation here, there's, there's no discussion about earnings. It's, it's, it's only revenue tells me that earnings are probably not that high. Now, Unilever is a very well-established company. They've, they've acquired a lot of brands. I'm sure that they, they know what they're doing. Clearly, there is something there. But certainly for for our style of research uh you know we would be very price sensitive in terms of of buying something like this so 3.3 times revenue i'm going to take a guess without knowing anything about the earnings is is a, is a premium valuation one thing i will add is that if this bid is unsolicited Typically, the, the prospective buyer does not come forward with their best bid right away. So we could actually see uh, another bid um, above $1 billion. 
Uh, another thing I'll add as well is that $300 million may sound like, like a lot of revenue, but really honest company remains a, a tiny speck in the consume in the consumer product sector. Um, so it's, it's questionable whether or not it should actually receive a premium or, or such a massive premium. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I mean, there's names like, if you look at names like Procter and Gamble and Clorox in that space, I mean, they're, they're given a 3.3 times multiple, but up until a, a few years ago, um, they were nowhere near those levels, and those are well-established, huge companies. They're highly profitable, highly profitable yeah, highly companies. profitable, and, and really, I mean, you could argue that what has driven those companies higher is really a low-interest rate environment. They're attractive, stable-type dividends, so is this pushing a bubble maybe in the you know toxin-free product area? Is it a dot-com type scenario going on in that with the you know, that sector is incredibly hot right now and is Unilever paying a premium. Uh, it may look that way. Um, like, I'm all for those type of products. And like I, like I said, I buy them for our kids all the time. But I would, I don't think I'd be paying 3.3 times revenue um, for a potentially, I mean, it could be a company that's losing money. Um, the Honest Company, on another note, the Honest Company kind of has raised around $200 million in the past five years from investors. It's been reported that the last financing round was done at a valuation of $1.7 billion. Now, if it's true and Unilever is able to buy this company for $1 billion, Jessica may have some rather ticked investors to answer to. Now, overall, the business, I mean, let's pull back a little bit here. The business just started four years ago. Uh, it's very impressive to get to $300 million in revenue over that time. Uh, kudos to Jessica for that. But for one billion dollars um perhaps maybe if unilever's buying it they should ask for royalties on the honest company movie which we would recommend casting jennifer lawrence to play alba and i'm sorry to jessica for that now the honest company provides a great segue to our next topic in this week's your stock our take segment we have we answer a listener question on CIAPRO a company which is focused on the development and commercialization of active ingredients for the healthcare and cosma, cosmetic industry. They're profitable. And the company uses a proprietary technology to extract active ingredients, or what it calls active ingredients, from oats and other renewable plant resources. I think Jessica would approve. So Aaron, your thoughts on this profitable TSX Venture listed company? Okay, uh, CIAPRO, the symbol is CZO on the TSX Venture, trading right now for about $1.87. The stock is up over 700% in the last year, but it's pulled back 25% from its high of 240 around that it, that it hit in July. Uh, they, they released very strong Q2 results in August. Revenues were up 71% for the quarter. Um, and nearly doubled for the first six months of the year. Earnings per share as well, more than doubled in the second quarter from one cent last year to two and a half cents this year. Solid cash flow from operations. The balance sheet is re in reasonable condition, although there is a working capital deficiency of about $1.1 million. If you strip out the one-time non-cash gains, the company made about eight and a half cents in earnings over the last 12 months, which puts the price to earnings valuations at approximately 22 times. The last three quarters have truly been transformational for the company, and they've seen they've seen an explosion in earnings over this period. What's been driving the growth, according to the company, is increased demand, especially in Asia, for its key products. Um, and more specifically, uh, its key active ingredient, which is called beta glucan. 
think I'm, I'm pronouncing that right. The, the, the company uh, also quotes major improvements in its manufacturing processes, driving profitability, as well as a stronger U.S. dollar. Financially, the company looks, looks very good. Certainly from a profitability and growth perspective, they've done an amazing job. Valuation-wise, I would consider this company a little expensive uh, for our research style at 22, 22 times earnings. But that being said, given the growth in earnings and revenue, that's not an unreasonable valuation. In fact, if, if the growth were to continue near this level than 22 times, it would still, it's on the premium end, but it would still fit into our growth at a reasonable price investment strategy. One thing I am a little cautious on about this business is, is just the product and how effective it really is. So for example, their main active ingredient, I'll, I'll try this again, beta-glucan, um, from what I can determine is a non-medical anti-aging product. The, the company does state that several studies have shown the efficacy uh, of this product in stimulating collagen synthesis and play an important role in, in skin restructuring and wound healing. I, I don't personally have any knowledge of this product myself or any of these studies. It'd be interesting to see how, re, how reliable and credible these studies are and what they actually say the product can do. But I think that this is an important consideration because we've seen quasi-medical products, uh, so to speak, in the past gain notoriety and then lose popularity uh, very quickly as well. So it's it basically being fads, um, spiking up in popularity and then that popularity just disappearing. So it's, it's, it's really important to understand what the company is selling. They also have other products I I as well. Um, but right now it is clear that this product is getting customer acceptance at present and the company is delivering profitable growth. So the stock does rank high on Keystone's monitor list presently. Yeah, it definitely is on our monitor list. We're continuing to evaluate the company. And it is a great point you raise. As investors, we can do all the number analysis we want. And the numbers, relatively speaking, particularly with its breakthrough this year and profitability, look good on CIA Pro uh, if the growth can continue. But the yeah, product, that's, and that's the key is if the growth can yeah, continue. Yeah. So it's, it's you know, the first step is to find a company that's profitable, um, you know, hopefully that's got a track record of growth. But then the next step, the very important step is to determine how sustainable is that profitability, how sustainable is that growth. And that's where you really have to take apart the business and understand the products and the markets. Yeah. And that's what we have to, the next step you got to determine is the validity of the claims the company is making and, and everything like that. So it's a whole different level and it's, it's often more difficult than just looking at the numbers. Much more. From our Stars and Dogs segment, it's time for this week's Dog. This week's Dog of the Week is Deutsche Bank. Uh, the, cumble, the company symbol is DB on the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, this stock is down 53% over the last year and 46% year to date. Deutsche Bank, which literally means German bank, which is not surprising, become his, the company is a German global banking and financial services company with headquarters in Frankfurt, has more than 100,000 employees and is based in over 70 countries. This past Friday, the stock was down 10%. Why? The Wall Street Journal reported that the U.S. Justice Department recently opened settlement negotiations with Deutsche Bank asking for $14 billion to resolve claims stemming from the German lender's pre-financial crisis sales of residential mortgage-backed securities. Now, just as a refresher, 
Many banks have been accused of bundling poorly underwritten home loans and selling them as safer securities than they knew them to be, ultimately helping to fuel a bubble in rising home prices and exasperate, exasperate the consequences of the subsequent collapse. Now, following the news, Deutsche Bank shares immediately, like I said last week, lost 10%, wiping out more than $1.2 billion in the market. As investors fear a larger-than-expected settlement could prompt lenders to seek fresh capital. Now, capital increases can be perceived negatively by existing shareholders who fear dilution of their holdings, particularly when that capital is not used for growth purposes, but in this case is used to pay massive fines. To be clear, the $14 billion figure is only a starting point. It's like when you're selling an old TV or your old TV on Craigslist and you throw out a figure of 500 bucks. A potential buyer replies, no bloody way, and offers you 100 bucks. There's a back and forth, some friendly expletives are thrown out there, and you finally settle on 250. Well, this is likely the case here. In this case, though, Deutsche Bank actually has confirmed the $14 billion settlement proposal, but the bank has stated they have absolutely no intent to pay the Justice Department claims anywhere near that number cited. Quoting the bank directly, they said the negotiations are only just beginning, and they added that they expect the outcome to be in, in line with previous settlements or materially lower than the $14 billion figure. Perhaps we may be looking at the 4 to $6 billion range. That's our speculation. Now, the issue is uh, there's a number of analysts that have crunched the numbers on this, and a $4 billion settlement, even at la that level, would cut, put questions around the company's capital position. I mean, if you just look at the market cap of the company, it's around $18 billion. Even at $4 billion, Deutsche Bank would be coughing up roughly one-fifth of its entire market cap. If the figure ends up being higher, it would be tough for the lender, which is already beset with sagging profits and economic headwinds, uh, and now to face billions of dollars in unexpected legal fees might be just too much. There are so many far better banks to focus on. We recommend you stay away from this dog. It's, it's really difficult to, to get a handle on this kind of a business because they're just they're so complicated. There's so many moving parts underneath the hood you just you just you don't know where the risk factors are and, and you have a situation like this granted as you said the stock is down 50 percent over the last year i'm sure that that has been largely in expectation of of this this fine um news news around this fine but it's it's you, you don't know if this is if this is the end of it i mean there's just there's so many different things going on in those businesses and one thing that i've i've said in the past when it just it comes to banking is that the Canadian banks are really much more simple to understand. Not that they don't have their own complications, but they just, with the regulation up here in Canada, our banking system works completely differently than it does in the United States and, and I believe in, in Europe as well. Yeah, I mean, in this case, um, you know, you've got capital that's been put aside to basically play a massive fine. So you got to question whether anything or much capital has invest, been invested in growth. Perhaps you get a relief rally when you settle on a figure and it's found that the bank can continue in some form following this. Uh, but I mean, that's not our type of investing. We're looking for a company that's able to 
generate free cash flow and invest that in growth over time and when you're paying off massive legal bills it's very difficult to do that and there's a lot of uncertainty here so we just call it too speculative and that's why it's been a dog certainly uh, over the past year certainly from our stars and dogs segment it's time for this week's star but on to on to happier stories this this week's star is apple Symbol is AAPL on the NASDAQ. This is obviously a company that needs no introduction. Uh, trading at about $115 per share. The stock was up 11% last week. So far, 2016 has been a bumpy ride for the company's share price, as was 2015. From an analyst perspective, we've, we've always heard a lot about Apple as a potential value story. And in spite of the company being a, a powerhouse in its industry, the valuation has always generally been quite attractive relative to underlying earnings and cash flow. Up until this year, growth in, in revenues and earnings have been well into the double digits on an annual basis. And, and the valuation is, has generally traded in, in the the. 10, say 10 to 15 times earnings range, which is, is attractive for a company with that kind of growth rate and competitive position. But the fear of the past has always been that as a consumer products company in an ever-crowded market, how does Apple continue to maintain that, that growth rate? And, and this year, those fears have been validated with Apple reporting meaningful declines in revenues and profits in, in their last quarter. So this is why the share price performance over the past couple of years has been choppy, but... but um, of course, Apple's proponents, they always have that hope that the company is going to come out with another piece of revolutionary technology that will propel growth and open up new markets that maybe didn't even exist before. All of this aside, last week was, was the company's best week on the stock market in years. The reason, they launched their, their much-awaited uh, iPhone 7. So far, even though this was widely considered to be an incremental upgrade to the iPhone 6, Wait lists for the new phone are much longer than expected, and several analysts are, are anticipating that the new release is going to push earnings up above their previous expectations. So that earns, uh, that earns co- Apple the, the coveted status of this week uh, for being the star. That's a well-earned star, in my opinion. Now, that ends it this week for us. Um, I'd like to thank Aaron uh, for co-hosting the show with me again this week. Now, I'd also like to encourage our clients to log into their accounts on www.keystocks.com. We've uh, just put in up four new videos, three on the two, three recently recommended spec buys in our Canadian small cap growth stock portfolio. Uh, those are from our breakthrough report that was issued last week. Two of those companies had multi-million dollar contracts, new multi-million dollar contracts announced this week. Uh, if you want to get an update on that, log into your account. We've got three new videos on those companies and consult the full recommendation reports on them as well. Uh, if you're not a client, sign in and uh, become a client and you can get that information ASAP. Again, we wish you profitable investing. Thank you. Thank you. Profitable investing.